We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Happy hump day, everybody. Hump day home and home. Radio.com sports original. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. ZipRecruiter dot com slash enter it is october you can feel it in the air and that means october baseball and yes as of today it is also hockey season the blues raise the banner tonight we're getting a dramatic postseason opener last night in major league baseball though and what it means for the nationals organization and really what it means for the entire sport when you consider the biggest contracts in the game are they a good idea or are they just a bad deal across the board i'm dave briggs home in connecticut ross tucker home in pennsylvania as we start 40 minutes of commercial free madness with this question ross tucker we'll get to the baseball in a minute but it is october which we feel like is baseball playoffs hockey season nfl college football and halloween And you tweeted out a map of the best or most popular Halloween candy by state, your state, I believe, and I had to look at it four, five, six times, is a Mars bar state. I don't, I got to just plead ignorance here. I don't even know what a Mars bar is. Can that be correct? It is 100% false. Evidently, it was based on Google search results, they claim. But I've also seen that the Mars bar was discontinued 15 years ago. And even 15 (laughs) years ago, this was not correct. I've had people from all kinds of states laughing about these. I don't know who the psychopath is or weirdo that creates these maps, but they've never been right. They're always full of crap. There is no way. Now, I did have some people... In the Carolinas tell me, yep, people love milk duds down here. I have no idea why, but they do. (laughs) So some states have claimed that this is correct. By the way, the most searched for volume per capita is not the best way to know what the most popular Halloween candy is in every state. I can assure you, though, having lived in Pennsylvania most of my life, and having never seen a human being, or animal for that matter, eating a Mars bar, that it is not the most popular Halloween candy in the great state of Pennsylvania. I've had several of my Ohio friends and followers. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. He is at Dave Briggs TV, the show at RDC, home and home, that have echoed that and said they also have never seen anyone in the state of Ohio eat a Mars bar. I don't know what possesses some lunatic to say, you know what I'm going to do today? I got a lot of time on my hands. I'm going to create this cool map and just lie and falsely claim that certain items of candy are the most popular in each state. Like, who does that? And who are their parents? 
And how disappointed are their parents that they raised a psychopath, lunatic weirdo, <laughs> that wakes up in the morning and creates a map lying about Halloween candy? What is wrong loser. with you? And your parents are probably losers, and you come from a loser family. That's the only way to describe. Yeah, that's the only way to describe. Thank you for that audio, guys. Uh, that was an audio drop that one of the millennials dropped in there. It just cracked. You know what it is? It's probably a millennial. But then again, millennials don't even know what a Mars bar is. Do you remember Mars bars, Dave? Like from way I, back in the I day, don't. I vaguely remember. I don't know. I had to look it up. I had to Google it this morning. Basically, it's the equivalent of a Milky Way. I'm 42, and I can't recall ever having a Mars bar. But there is some truth to the map as a whole. I do feel like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is the number one Halloween candy, and it's number one across 12 states. So that feels right to me. My state of Connecticut is a Kit Kat state. That feels about right to me. Colorado, Colorado is a nerds state. Unless everyone is under the age of nine, no one is a nerd's state. I can't remember the last time I enjoyed the feeling of crunching down on pure sugar. But again, my seven-year-old loves nerds. I think I'm going to search for another map. I think there's got to be a better one out there, Ross. We're going to have to improve upon that. But you would agree. Well, and look, I, I had buddies. One, right? Yeah, I had buddies chime in. Like my buddy Trey Teague, who I played with in Buffalo, laughing about hot tamales. He's like, yeah, that's definitely not true. There aren't that many states where hot hot tamales as the most popular Halloween candy. I don't believe that. And then even like, you know, Minnesota. What's it? Pretzel M&Ms? That is too unique of an item to be the most popular Halloween candy. Or what state is that? Is that, that's not Nevada. What is that out there? That's the peanut M&Ms. I don't know. I don't, I can't look, I can't, I can't decipher the state. What's the state next to Colorado? Nebraska? They're not peanut M&Ms. That's a joke too. Th th those items are too unique to be the most popular Halloween candy in every state. What we need to do is we got like five millennials that work on this show. They need to finally provide some value and hunt down the weirdo that came up with this map and get him on the show. That's my challenge to the millennials. I don't even remember all their names. Jacob and Jordan and Joey and Steve <laughs> Jung and Dylan. Get on that. Get on that, millennials. I want to know. I want the map creator on the show to find out where, where it all went wrong. Where it all went wrong with his life. Or her life, as the case may be. I do. I have found another map. So perhaps later on in the program, we can update that. And, and maybe this one. This one looks more accurate to me. It shows Pennsylvania as a mini Hershey bar state, which feels at least closer to something that might be considered uh, normal-ish. But we'll discuss throughout the program. And perhaps we can update uh, here's that. Here's a day before we move on. on it. Yep. Before we get to the baseball, okay, because I know thousands, if not millions of people have tuned in because I tweeted that I'm going to start the show by talking baseball. And that, I mean, this is just, <laughs> it, this will just be knowledge bombs just being dropped on the regular. So um, I actually have a lot to say about baseball. I'm kind of excited. But I got to ask you, Dave, what would be like when your kids go out for Halloween? 
And we should probably talk about this in some way, shape, or form every day for the next 30 days. But when okay your kids go that. out for Halloween and they come back, okay, and you yeah. look in their bags, yeah. what what's the one you're you're grabbing? You're, you're having one of those bad boys. It's your jam. It's your thing. You're, you're grabbing one of those. Well, it's, it's for two reasons. Number one, I already expressed my preference that the Reese's peanut butter cup is supreme. But I also have a teenager who has a crazy peanut allergy. And if she sees anything in this house, she pulls her hair out and loses her mind. So it's twofold. And it's no doubt I rob all those Reese's peanut butter cups, hide them, eat most of them. And you? Okay, so question. If if she has a peanut allergy, yeah, does that mean any peanut butter, any peanut butter cup, like anything with any peanut at all? Anything at all. Any Snickers. We don't have peanut butter in the house. Anything that even has anything close to a peanut in it, a small portion of a peanut, peanut and M&Ms, they're all gone. But it's really those Reese's peanut butter cups that sound the alarm bells in the Briggs house. And I'm happy to play ball. I think they're fantastic. Never, never tire of them. What okay, so I, I have a question too. Do Have we yep. ever gotten, like, what do the doctors say? So I don't remember any kid that had a peanut allergy when you and I were growing up. Now, like, I remember when you and I were working NBC Sports Network, I was like, who are all these kids with peanut allergies? And Jason Taylor, the Hall of Famer, is like, my, my kid has one. And your kid has one. Like, yep. where did this come from, Dave? I think we're around one in ten right now, at least in my neck of the woods, that the schools are now peanut-free schools. I'm sure as a parent, you know that. There is no more peanut butter and jelly, which is so sad to me. Growing up on peanut butter and jelly, playing high school football and sneaking them between classes just to try to pack on the protein was so much a part of my childhood and college and into my first job at KEVN in Rapid City, South Dakota, when I had no money, you had to eat peanut butter and jelly just to get by. I don't know if, I, I think the allergy was always there. I think they just pinned it on other things. That is my scientific theory. I am not, however, a doctor. All right, so the millennials have chimed in, okay? Steve Jung says the type of candy is overrated. Most important factor is if someone gives you a king size as opposed to a bite size. I would actually yeah. strongly disagree with that. I like bite size. Now, I might have 45 of them. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, I'm going to end up getting more than the king size worth. But I like being able to put the whole thing in my mouth. Like, I like bite size. So that's, that's, that's false, millennial number one. Joey, uh, Joey, I don't even know how to say his last name. He's only our producer. He says he's allergic to tree Gelman. nuts. <laughs> Gelman? I didn't know if it was Gelman or Gelman. Whatever. Who cares? Anybody listening care? You don't care. Uh, he's allergic to tree nuts. Peanuts are the only one he can eat. I would be devastated if I couldn't eat peanuts. What happens? Like, what happens if she eats a lot of peanuts? Oh, so you're gonna you're gonna force me to tell an awful story. Don't judge me, man. I'm a good parent now, but I wasn't <laughs> always. Okay. So, all right, folks. My young daughter, uh, she must have been, I don't know, two years old, innocent, happy, beautiful young daughter. My first kid refused to eat a lot of things, and it drove me mad. And I just couldn't accept that she wouldn't try certain things. One of those things she decided she would never try was peanut butter. 
And I was determined to change that. And I did. <laughs> I actually forced a bite of peanut butter. Oh, God, I feel so awful about this. Still forced a bite of peanut butter into my daughter's mouth. And not 15 minutes later, there were two black guys. And we had to call the hospital. And I was afraid child services was going to come calling on me. I'm still not over that, man. I'm still actually really scarred by that awful decision, man. Ah, thanks for ripping so, off that scab. So my my story's different. Um, by the way, if you still want to, if you if you if you came for the Soto talk, we'll get to it in two minutes. I promise. We'll I got I got a lot I got a lot of Soto talk up in here. Okay, I got a lot of Soto talk. But you know how when a, a baby turns one, they get the cake that you like. They that you let them do whatever they want to do with the cake, Dave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Put their face in it, their hands in it, whatever the yeah. hell. Yeah. All right. So our daughters are 17 months apart, and the first one is uh, very shy, very passive, and so when she turned one, she just kind of sat there and looked at it, didn't do anything with it, like just sat there. It, we had like 50 people, 100 people there waiting to see her smash it, put her face in it. She did nothing. It was very uneventful. So when daughter number two came, I thought, she's aggressive. She's wild. I thought, okay, this is going to be awesome. She's going she's gonna to chuck it, throw it, smash it on her face. Gonna be her. She didn't really do anything with it. She just kind of like gently touched it. So I went over oh, and yes. I wanted oh, some yes. action. I wanted some action. So I pushed her hands oh. down into the cake to kind of get her going, to get her to enjoy it and start to play it. Well, it backfired. She just started bawling, absolutely bawling when I pushed her hand in the cake. And my wife was so mad at me and scolded me in front of everybody that was there. I just wanted some action, man. I, you know, I waited two years for someone to do something with the damn cake and she didn't anyway. Um, I like a lot of them. The thing I would say for the Halloween candy is I would say my choice would be a take five bar by far the best candy bar going. Uh, if you're not familiar, you better recognize and you better go out and buy a take five. I like Snickers. I like Milky Way. Love Kit Kat. Love Twix. But take five bars. Take the cake. They're the best. We need a take five sponsorship. They're the best. If my kids come back, they could have 100 pieces of candy. I am grabbing the take five bar. They are getting mad at me and saying, Daddy, don't. I am eating it anyway, and I am taking the repercussions. So let me just clear up. Is is that basically a Reese's with pretzels? Is that um, what a take five bar is? Because I've never heard of that one butter, either. Chocolate, butter, pretzel. Yeah, I think that is what it is. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, a Reese's peanut butter cup with pretzels. Okay, I, I agree with Steve Jung, our producer. The 100 grand candy bar, as far as a candy bar goes, clearly is superior. But I think this take five has me interested because I like the crunch and it's the crunch in the, uh, the hundred grand that really sells me there. Well, here's the thing. So, yeah. My favorite things in life. I, I, 
Chocolate goes good with everything. Peanut butter goes good with everything. Peanut butter and pretzels, awesome. Chocolate and pretzels, awesome. Let's put them all together. Let's get nuts. Let's put them all together. Let's get crazy. Take five, delicious. And that's it. That's it. We're going to have uh, Steve Palazzolo on from PFF. He grades, you know, NFL players, but maybe he can help us grade Halloween candy. Maybe give us like a top three by the PFF standards, by those metrics they use. Perhaps he can break it down for us what truly is the number one. And, and maybe we could just give him like three or four that we've presented there. But 18 minutes after the hour, we are going to get to the Juan Soto conversation, the 20-year-old sensation with the Washington Nationals. So the postseason started last night in the nation's capital, and it started like the Nationals' season. Not well. They were down two-zip after two batters, a two-run jack on one of the better pitchers in baseball, Max Scherzer, and it felt like the familiar dread had come back to Washington Decisive games in baseball playoff series don't go well for Washington fans, and they felt that dread coming on. Then comes the eighth inning. Josh Hader on the mound for the Milwaukee Brewers, exactly how Milwaukee played this game out. A lead, Hader on the mound, game over. But then it just started to break down. You had to hit batsmen, a tad controversial, a broken bat single by pinch hitter Ryan Zimmerman, a walk to Anthony Rendon, MVP candidate, and suddenly, 20-year-old Juan Soto comes to the plate with the chance to tie it or perhaps even win it. This happened, 106.7, the fan in D.C. 20-year-old Juan Soto in a spot to be a game-changer here. Hater the set, the kick, here it comes. Swing and a line drive, base hit right field. Taylor scores from third. Sets Rendon to the right of the cutout at third. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball center field. Robles going back. Still back there. He makes the catch. He makes the catch. He makes the catch. And a wild card game winning. Curly W is in the books. Bang. Zoom got the fireworks. The Nationals will go to Los Angeles. Great call on 106.7, the Nats, as they called it yesterday in D.C., a radio.com station. You can listen to those games on the radio.com app, which, of course, is free. That's the bad news for the Nats. They get to go take on the Dodgers, who have been dominant this season, and the Nats use Serger and Strasburg to get out of that wild card. But look. This season started 19 and 31 for the Nats. They had a 3% chance of making the playoffs in late late May. So this is an outstanding story regardless of what happens to the Nationals. If you looked at Twitter this morning, the story was the 20-year-old Juan Soto who came through with the game winner. 
Should he have been the story, Ross Tucker, or should it have been Trent Grisham, who in the eyes of some pulled a Bill Buckner-like mistake, allowing not just the tying run, but the game-winning run to plate? Well, I guess it depends on in life if you want to be uh, a happy person or a, a positive <laughs> person or a negative person. Do you want to be glass half full, glass half empty? I got to tell you, though, Dave, I, I'm surprised watching the highlights again this morning, reading everything that happened, the breakdown by all the baseball writers. I'm surprised there hasn't been more of a conversation about Grisham. I mean, that was my initial reaction was, oh, man, that poor guy. Because I think any guy that ever played sports at a high level will look at that and just think, how's that dude going to sleep? I mean, that is going to be rough for him. Anyone that's ever been in a situation where you made a major mistake and you felt like you cost your team the game, that is really, really tough to come back from. And that was my reaction. I mean, it was a nice hit by Soto after the broken bat by Zimmerman or whatever. But he cost him at least one run. And I don't know, Dave. I, I think they could have had to play at the plate to for even the tying run. I mean, he was charging yes. it. It was a pretty well-hit ball. I feel like we got robbed of a play at the plate, which I love. That's like the most intense part of baseball. But I'm with you. You know, go to anywhere and look for stories. It's all about Soto. It's all about the Nationals. You don't see that much about Grisham, whereas that was the bigger story, I think, than the Soto hit. Was The Soto hit was good. The Grisham yeah. error was really, really bad. Yeah, and he put himself in the wrong position. I think we would have had a play at the plate. Usually that play is missed glove side because you're trying to glove it and come up throwing. He really had himself in the wrong position. You want that ball at the very least centered up on you. Be conservative, knock it down, do anything to not let that winning run plate. And it's especially ironic that Christian Yelich plays right field and, of course, was hurt down the stretch in which this team, the Milwaukee Brewers, remarkably went 20-7 and in September without one of the best players in the league. Let's hear from the man who made that error, Trent Grisham. Topsman coming up, so I was getting ready to throw to home. Came in a little off balance. Um, kind of took a little funky hop on me just because I came in off balance. Didn't really gather myself. Uh, ball got by me and just went back there and tried to get it in as quickly as I could. Trent, did you feel the pressure of this being a winner go home game at any point? Whether uh, that last well, or definitely. I mean, at the end of the game, uh, when getting down to six, five, four outs to go, and win, of course you feel all that pressure and you feel it, and it's kind of it's exciting. I mean, you want to you want to live in those moments and you want to live up to those expectations. Do you think that got to you at all? Uh, no, I don't think it got to me at all. I think I I just ended up making an error. It's not my first. That's not going to be my last, and it just happened that way. How long will it take just for that, the pain of that one? It's going to sting. It's going to sting for a long time. Um, it's essentially gifting a guy, uh, gifting the Nationals a divisional berth. I mean, it's going to hurt, and I expect it to hurt And when I really kind of debrief and uh, go into the offseason. That is tough for a guy that hadn't made an error in the outfield in more than 40 games leading into this one for the Nationals. That's part of the beauty of the baseball postseason, though, isn't it, Ross? 
all year long. These games are so long. This season is so long. You lose interest in your team. It just feels forever. An error doesn't hurt you. A loss doesn't hurt you. Heck, a 19-31 and 31 series, or start doesn't hurt you. But in the postseason, that is the beauty of it. Things change so dramatically, and one misplayed ball sends you home for golf. And that is why I can watch playoff baseball. I cannot watch regular season baseball. I mean, I, and, and I'm not criticizing it. I know a lot of people that like it. It's kind of like background music. You just kind of have it on or like golf. You just have it on in the background while you're on your computer, like replying to emails. You look up every once in a while. You hear if you, if you hear a home run, maybe you watch it or whatever. And that's fine. And there's a lot of people that enjoy that. I can't watch that. I, I just, it's not for me. But playoff baseball, when it really feels like there's something on the line every pitch, and you're thinking about the strategy for the managers, the pitcher, the batter, you know, the shift of the infield. I mean, it's awesome. It is really, really cool. I don't know if there's any way, Dave, that they can replicate it or make it better in the regular season. I don't think it's possible. I think perhaps we just need to take both of them for what they are, the regular season and the postseason, and enjoy them for what they are. And maybe it's the dichotomy between the regular season and the playoffs that in part make the playoffs so exciting. We get in a whole other discussion about whether or not it's fair to only have these one game wild card, if that is really the way it should be, or if that's a fair representation of which team's better. I say, I don't care. I like elimination games. I like entertainment like that. I would submit to you though, Dave, I think that of every major sport that there's a bigger difference between postseason baseball and regular season baseball than any other sport. You know, I know hockey, they amp up the intensity. NFL, the intensity gets jacked up. You know, NBA, they're going to be playing harder defense, it seems like. But even NBA, it's like a series, you know? And even baseball, it's a series, but not the first round. I, I, I just think that there's a bigger difference between the postseason and regular season in baseball than any other sport. I prefer playoff hockey to playoff baseball, but in terms of the difference between a regular and postseason, that point is spot on. I mean, I cannot force myself to watch a regular season baseball game unless I am there in person, unless I just happen to be very bored sitting around, nothing on TV, and my team is playing. It's got to be all factors combining. A lot of discussion to get into about baseball. About uh, I want to show you this new ad later in the program about the image that baseball wants to portray versus the image that it's actually portraying. Also, these big contracts, are they helpful or are they harmful? But I got to tell you a story and get your take on it. Dave Martinez, the manager of the Nationals, was panicked before this game because he had a classic playoff beard that everyone believed was the reason, you know, the most superstitious sport on the planet, bar none. The team began to believe, as did the fans, that Dave Martinez's beard was part of their turnaround, part of their strong finish getting into this postseason, which seemed extremely unlikely. Well, Ross, he shaved and didn't realize that the guard came off his razor, his shaver, 
And then at that point, he had a big chunk kind of uneven uh, missing part of his beard. So we figured, all right, I got to go ahead and clean up the whole thing. The team was panicked when they saw him arrive at the ballpark. Have you had an instance like that where you made one little shaving mistake and boom, whole beard is down the drain. Got to start from scratch. I have not done that uh, as of yet. Maybe, maybe one time I did, but I haven't had a beard that long. So I haven't had that kind of an opportunity. I, you know, I've always been handsome. I haven't chosen to be ruggedly <laughs> handsome for this long. Um, I've decided, I think it was last year before the Super Bowl, I thought, you know what? Let's change it up for the ladies out there. Let's grow a beard so they can see what ruggedly handsome really looks like. So I've been doing this really as more of a, uh, a social give back as much as anything else uh, <laughs> since the since the Super Bowl. But I have not had an incident like that, no. I honestly though, if I if that if I were in that situation, I might have just left the rest of the beard because I do believe in superstitions and I do know how seriously they take that stuff in baseball, even in hockey. I, I probably would have just been like, "Yep, yeah, I mean, I I, I would have just left it uneven." I think. Yeah, it happened to me when I had the height of my beard. Now I just go with the scruff. I keep it uh, pretty trimmed. But I had a pretty solid full beard when I first saw you uh, at the Super Bowl after we hadn't seen each other in a few years. I did. I had one little nick that I didn't realize. I didn't know what to do with it. And boom, I had to take off the whole thing. Thankfully, it was not a playoff beard. I am not a superstitious fella. I'm just doing this because I am frankly lazy. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, shaving sucks Ross it absolutely does you know what doesn't suck zip recruiter hiring can be a slow process not everybody can hire ruggedly handsome people like me Cafe El Toro COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company but he's having trouble finding qualified applicants so he switched to zip recruiter ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. Ziprecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. So before the baseball postseason started late last night and before that became the biggest story in sports, it was still this massive divide in the country over the future of paying college athletes. And that, of course, started because Gavin Newsom, the California governor, signed into law the Fair Pay to Play Act 
which doesn't kick in until 2023, but would change everything for college athletics, for stars in college basketball and football, and some feel could break the model of the NCAA. A lot of opinions here. On all sides of this, some are informed and some are a just an absolute mess, which I will get to in a moment. But let's start with the primary sides in this. We have on the pro side, needless to say, the California governor, Mr. Newsom. And then on the other side, the Ohio State Athletic Director, who is also the chair of the Name, Image, and Likeness Committee. Let's hear the two sides and, and evaluate in just a sec. There's no other students, no other students that are prohibited from selling their name or their image or likeness. You could have folks that are there on scholarships for music and art uh, that can have 500 million views on YouTube and they can monetize that. The only students that can't are athletes that sign their lives away to the NC2A. And who makes the money off that? No one on the field, everybody off the field. And they're monetizing it in historic ways, 14 plus billion dollar industry, college sports. And I just think again, uh, it's time to, to reallocate some of those resources in a more fair and equitable way. And it's very difficult for us, who are practitioners in this space, to figure out how do you regulate that? How do you ensure that the unscrupulous bad actor does not enter that space and ultimately uh, create an unlevel playing field? And we know that there's not a level playing field uh, a, in a lot of different ways, but one of our principles is to try and create rules and regulations to try and achieve fair play. So how do you do that and ensure uh, that the third party bad actor doesn't enter that space and ultimately uh, drive some environments uh, to a point where recruiting becomes an even bigger advantage uh, than it is mm. for some other schools. Okay, so that was Gavin Newsom, who signed the law in California, and the Ohio State Athletic Director, who was not in favor and had suggested at one point that those schools in California would not be part of the NCAA if, in fact, this kicked in. Uh, I would have to say the truth is somewhere in the middle. Ross Tucker, we're going to have a much more in-depth conversation on this in the next hour. Are both of them right? Because regulation has to happen. I think Newsom and a lot of those out there in California are blind to the downside, the potential massive downside of allowing players unregulated to sign endorsement deals. Your thoughts? Yeah, it seems to me like I, I really understand where both sides are coming from. Every time Gavin Newsom talks, I find myself nodding and saying, yeah, you know, it isn't right that the musicians or artists on campus can benefit from their marketability and that, you know, the athletes can. Yeah, they should get an opportunity to monetize that if they can. But then I hear Gene Smith. And I know it's very popular to just criticize Gene Smith or Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, but these guys understand what the ramifications of this really are, and that if you are allowed to compensate these guys, these athletes, for their name and likeness, how do you regulate when they're getting that money, how they're getting that money? how the money changes hands, and then how do you prevent 
if this is legalized, how do you prevent 14 and 15 year olds from getting offered marketing and likeness guarantees by schools? And, and the answer is you probably don't. And I know a lot of people would say, well, why should they? That's great. There's a market. Give those guys those guarantees. And maybe that's better, Dave, than having the uncle or the seven-on-seven seven or AAU coach involved. Probably is. It's just going to lead to unique circumstances where these guys, 15-year-olds, are going to have to get agents, I guess, to negotiate these things for them, um, to help their parents. And so then you have agents starting to recruit high school players. I just think, and a lot of guys will say to you, hey, they already have runners. They already have guys. And so maybe maybe this is a benefit. Um, I don't think that the, the playing field will be level, but I don't, I'm not sure it already is. When you think about how much money these schools and these boosters already invest in the facilities and stuff, it's already an uneven playing field. I'm not sure that this actually makes it more uneven. Maybe it does, but I don't know that it makes that much of a difference. And to your point about the Pac-12, uh, I, I do have to come down on them for saying, quote, it will likely reduce resources and opportunities for student athletes in Olympic sports. It has no impact on a negative impact on those students that play Olympic sports. Some could make some more money. They also said it has a negative disparate impact on female student athletes. That is also completely false. There are a few women coast to coast that will be able to make, uh, make some money. Not a lot. But there certainly are a few college basketball, women's college basketball players that will make some cash. A lot more conversation on this to start the nine o'clock hour, including why Ross Tucker may have been right when he said Princeton will be the national champions. OK, not entirely, but there's a very good point, I think, potentially in that funny moment we had yesterday on Home and Home. We'll talk about that in the nine o'clock hour. Up next, after a quick break. PFF grades. All right, what's going on with Tom Brady? He was number one a week ago. Where is he now? Who's the new number one? What's going on with Kirk Cousins? What's going on with Todd Gurley? So many questions for Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. You know they have all the tape, all the evaluations after a quick break. Carson Wentz is the number one graded quarterback according to Pro Football Focus for the week. A shocker considering how the season started and considering Tom Brady was number one a week ago and what an ugly performance he had in Buffalo. Let's break that down with Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. Steve, it's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. Thanks for being on. Before we get into all the NFL and PFF grades, which we love to dive into we started this program by breaking down Halloween candy. Number one PFF graded candy bar is what? Man, we haven't uh, discussed this internally. We don't like to just you know let it be one person grading. We have a lot of checks and balances, but since I have to be the only one here, I'm a big yeah. fan of Twix. Twix is right up there for me. Yeah. I'm surprised, yeah. Twix. Twix yeah, is excellent. Twix is good. That's not my number one. Uh, as usual, PFF, very good, but not perfect. Um, <laughs> perfect would have been take five, but Twix is excellent. Wow. That's an acceptable answer. Like everything you guys do at Pro Football Focus, it's very good. Just 80% there. That's all we can do. 
as we can do. <laughs> you know what, Steve? Just out, just out of curiosity, uh, I was just thinking about this. I never asked this question, I've, and I've known Steve and talked to Steve for years. Which of the positions do you feel like you guys have the sharpest grades, if you will, and or are the easiest ones to grade versus which ones are the toughest ones for you guys to grade? Yeah, so um, I would say the closer you get to the ball, so once you get into the trenches, particularly pass rushers, we've done a really good job. You know, our guys essentially look at our metrics and say, okay, which ones are most stable year to year? Which ones are we doing the best job at? Um, and, and, and I guess the way to judge that is, okay, can you predict future performance and how well can you do that? So as far as predicting pass rush performance, uh, we've done extremely well, whether it's at, at the NFL level or college to NFL. Um, believe it or not, O-line has been pretty stable for us, despite the entire O-line community hating what we do and not believing that we can do what we do. Um, we still have some pretty good success there. And, and quarterbacks, we've done a really good job of not just saying, okay, this grade from year to year is consistent, but kind of describing skill sets and how they get there um, and how to build around quarterbacks. Once you get to safeties, um, a little bit away from the ball, I think it's more difficult. You just have fewer action plays for those guys, and scheme is so important. Um, and plus, the more, uh, you know, who you play on offense really dictates how well you're going you're gonna to play. Even the best safeties in the NFL could get torched against a really good offense. So um, I think safety is probably the most difficult one. I'm going to begin with the most difficult conversation I have right now, which is a guy I just love watching in Gardner Minshew, but on the other side of that is my Denver Broncos, who fell to 0-4 as he shredded them late in this game. You broke him down, including with great mustache comes great responsibility. Terrific quote. Uh, what is Gardner Minshew doing right now so well? So, you know, when we talk about guys coming out of the draft and throwing the ball downfield, how, how quickly do you mention arm strength? Hey, Josh Allen has a cannon for an arm. This guy's got a cannon for an arm. Carson Wentz, cannon for an arm. But Gardner Minshew right now is the best passer throwing the ball 10-plus yards down the field. And he probably has a below-average NFL arm. I mean, he's got, some, he's got some crow hop throws that he's got, you know, just to get the <laughs> ball down the field. Uh, but he's got anticipation. He has accuracy. Um, he's got that pocket movement, sees the field well. So um, he has just been spectacular throwing the ball 10-plus yards down the field. Um, he, he was hitting cover two shots. He's hitting post. He's throwing the ball with touch, dropping it in a bucket. So uh, Minshew's just been spectacular. And then, yeah, against Denver, we saw that Brett Farvish type of play where he's maneuvering the pocket, making magic happen, finding an open man. He just looks uh, comfortable out there. doesn't look like a sixth-round rookie, and he's throwing the ball accurately down the field. You know, I'm, I'm glad Dave, as the Broncos fan, brought up Minshew. I actually want to ask you about the other quarterback, Joe Flacco. You know, the Broncos are 0-4, and so everybody out there is just, oh, Flacco sucks. It's Flacco. And I'm not saying he's been great, but, I mean, Steve, in both their home games, he led them down for the go-ahead, you know, score, and then the defense wasn't able to shut the door on him. And I think against the Jags, what do you have, three touchdown pass? I don't know if he had 300 yards. Where is Flacco right now? Is he awful? Is he okay? Is he good? He's in the middle of the pack. He's been, he's been better than I expected. And, and I thought that Flacco could have a slight rejuvenation this year, kind of back to 2014 was probably the last year where he was, where he was pretty good. So um, I would say, you know, he had a bad pick on Sunday too, but 
Um, other than a handful of throws, he's done a pretty good job of taking care of the ball. He could still stand to be more aggressive, kind of old school Flacco, who's throwing the ball down the field a little bit more. But I think he's done a nice job taking care of the ball. And to your point, Ross, he did a nice job uh, leading comebacks. And, you know, he always kind of had that in him in Baltimore, you know, late in the game. He could, you know, pull out some magic. And he's done that. He's just, yeah, been screwed by the defense and, you know, the opposing team's kickers, uh, you know, essentially losing games for them or winning, you know, losing for Denver. Yeah. Oddly, a quarterback that has been discussed as much as any one of the game over the last couple of weeks is Kirk Cousins. And you, you talk about Flacco last having it in 2014. Well, look, if, if you go back to 2015 and 16 with Cousins with Washington, a guy that threw for 9,000 yards over those two seasons, threw for 54 touchdowns combined in two seasons, who looked like a guy that, frankly, again, back to the Denver Broncos, who wanted to pay him that money. Where has he changed, or or is he the guy that he always was? Because he looks like a guy who's completely lost 10 passes in week one win, and you've got Adam Thielen ripping him. You've got him apologizing to the team. Where is Kirk Cousins worse than when he was with Washington? So Cousins has always been this classic case of compare. When you compare PFF grades to stats, Cousins always seems to got to be the guy that looks better statistically. And we saw that on Sunday. I tweeted out like the you know we came out of that game with a 91.6 passer rating. I mean, if you watch that game, you're like, okay, they can't move the ball. He's fumbling in the pocket. This team can do nothing offensively, but he hit a fourth down go ball, which was nice, but that was pretty much it for him. And he still managed a 91.6 passer rating. To me, that's kind of like summed up Kirk Cousins' career. This inefficient game that's still by the end of it might look good statistically. So he's got four, uh, three or four finishes uh, in the top 10 in passer rating in his career, but only one top 10 finish in PFF grade. So again, I think our context on a play-by-play basis says um, he's probably not as good as the stats have shown through the years. But if you just look at the statistics, you're like, hey, I can talk myself into this guy. He does have this ability to just not um, step up, the opposite of what I just described in Flacco, the, the, not stepping up in road games at Chicago, at Green Bay. I always joke that those are the games that the Vikings were paying for, right, to go into Green Bay, to go into Chicago, and those have been his, uh, by far his worst games uh, throughout his career. So I think ultimately Cousins is going to start, you know, maybe beating up on some bad teams. Maybe this week against the Giants, he throws four touchdowns. Before you know it, you're like, hey, look, he's eighth in passer rating again. How bad could he be? Uh, but there is something to Cousins in these big games, road games against good teams. Um, he just, there's just something missing there. And I think we saw that again on Sunday. Steve, uh, I know we have a limited sample size on him in the NFL in terms of Dwayne Haskins playing a little bit Sunday, playing in the preseason. I guess I'm just curious as to what the book was on Haskins coming out of Ohio State. I know PFF does a terrific job doing grades for all the Division I teams as well. What did you guys have on Haskins? So he had a, a very good grade last year at Ohio State, not as good as the stats would show. We had Ohio State fans yelling at us uh, at, like crazy last year saying, look at this guy. He's our Heisman winner. He's got 50 touchdowns or you know, Heisman contender. Um, but the thing with Haskins, you know, if you can separate him from his offense, Ohio State's offense was spectacular. They had guys like Paris Campbell creating a crazy amount of yards after the catch. I think the book on Haskins, he reminded me a lot of Sam Bradford, at, you know, where if you, if you give him a clean pocket, 
he'll throw NFL type routes, a dig route with zip, and it just looks great. And you're just like, hey, that's an NFL throw. That's an NFL guy. But once you put him under a little bit of duress, and we saw that for him last year at Purdue, at Penn State, there were some games, some road games where he kind of struggled a little bit. And then when he faced pressure, he struggled a little bit. Anytime he had to move off his spot. So I always felt like that might limit his ceiling. It's a similar breakdown for me uh, as, as Josh Rosen. I think Rosen give him a clean pocket, he'll do some NFL things, but if he's got to create outside of structure, it was a, a bit of a question mark. So that's where I see Haskins right now. Um, if he gets put in this incredible situation with a nice O-line and a bunch of playmakers, a few more Terry McLaurins to throw to, um, then you could see some, uh, you know, some good seasons from him. But I think you know, he needs some work and he needs some help around him. You talked about looking at box scores and being deceived, and we're talking with Steve Palazzolo from PFF. How about a guy – they put up a 124 quarterback rating, 85% completions, no interceptions, two touchdowns. Talking, of course, about Mason Rudolph, who led the Steelers to a 27-3 win. What did you see? Is that a winning formula for a quarterback? So he's, uh, he's tied with Teddy Bridgewater so far this year with the lowest average depth of target on completion. So his average completions going about three and a half yards in the air. I, I think that's tough. That's the lowest. So that's really difficult to sustain. I thought the other night when you're playing a Bengals offense that really can't do anything against that Steelers defense, they played a, a dink and dunk type of game, a conservative type of game. Rudolph did make a few nice plays, did get the ball down the field. It was a wide open uh, touchdown to Deontay Johnson. And he, but he did a nice job, you know, making a play on the run for a touchdown too. So um, he's got to make a few more plays. I think we saw that in the 49ers game as well. He completed two passes beyond the line of scrimmage. So uh, I think that needs to improve. You can't really uh, win a ton of games uh, just throwing passes within five yards of the line of scrimmage. But um, I like the progression that Rudolph has made. And, you know, we liked him a little bit coming out of Oklahoma State. He was always uh, a little up and down. But, you know, I like to see some of that progression that he showed. All right, Steve, let's talk a little bit about the Bears. And I know we've talked to you before about Trubisky. And I guess Chase Daniel doesn't have a very big sample size. What is he started like four games, made $34 million. Yep. Ah, makes me sick, by the way. I started 25 games. Uh, thank you, Chase. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> not Daniels. But I, yeah. I am curious about what grade you guys have on Chase how he played on Sunday. It doesn't seem like the offense is worse, and arguably maybe they're even better. It seemed like he certainly has a better feel for the offense. Compare and contrast Chase Daniel and Trubisky for me, Steve. Yeah, Daniel had one of our highest grades of all quarterbacks last week. And, you know, again, we hear a lot from Bears fans because they were winning all last year. And we kept saying, look, Trubisky's one of our worst graded quarterbacks. And especially, you know, he had a great game against Tampa Bay and a great game against Detroit last year. But other than that, he was, he was pretty bad. And again, we like to say if, if the grade is low and the stats are good, there's some sort of help there. And Trubisky had a lot of help schematically last year. He just throws too many uncatchable passes. You know, he's just leaving too many plays on the table. And Chase Daniel was the opposite on Sunday, uh, hitting open throws, hitting the throws that were schemed up. So... I don't want to completely overreact to one game because we saw Daniel last year, too. He wasn't he was OK when he had to fill in for Trubisky. But if he plays like he did on Sunday, that is an upgrade from what they've been getting from Trubisky, where, uh, you know, there's just too many missed passes that are stall, you know, stalling that offense. And looks like that defense is spectacular again. You kind of want that uber game manager type of player. And Chase looked like that on Sunday. If he can keep playing like that. Yeah, that's a potential upgrade over Trubisky. 
All right, and then the last quarterback I wanted to get your thoughts on is just Kyle Allen and what you've seen from him and how his PFF grades compare to the grades Cam Newton was putting up the first couple weeks. So Allen had one great game against Arizona. He was not nearly as good last week against Houston, but um, I tweeted this out this week. Kyle Allen and Gardner Minshew, number one and two in the NFL in passer rating on 10-plus yard throws this year, as expected. You know, So it's Kyle <laughs> Allen versus Gardner Minshew. Right? It's crazy. So those guys are going to be dueling this weekend. Um, look, Kyle Allen is just a fascinating case. He was a five-star kid, transferred a couple times, never really played great in college, but I think Carolina's done a really good job of building around his skill set. They built, you know, built in some easy throws for him, and then he made some really nice downfield throws against Arizona. He's been more efficient than Cam was earlier in the year. I know Cam's been banged up, but kind of similar to, to Trubisky, Cam just misses a lot of throws. He leaves a lot of plays on the table, and if you just hit some of the easy stuff, you can sustain offense a little bit more. I don't think Kyle Allen's going to make as many spectacular throws as Cam Newton over time, but to this point, he has, and that's why I think Carolina... Um, is 2-0 with Kyle Allen under center. He's got to play a lot better than he did last week, though, against Houston. On Thursday night, we'll see Jared Goff, who threw it 1,000, uh, 2,000, 3,000 times last <laughs> weekend, and largely because they clearly have no faith in Todd Gurley, who has gone from 97 yards to 63 to 43, and then last weekend, just 16 yards rushing on five carries in that loss to the Bucks. Oddly, Steve, one of those was a 13-yard touchdown, which he took a couple of defenders with him. What are you seeing from Todd Gurley, a guy that's cooked or underutilized? So I don't advocate utilizing running backs in general, but if you're talking about what Gurley's done when given the ball, I think he's run the ball pretty well this year. I think he's done a nice job. I think he's had stretches he did it in the Carolina game you mentioned that run he had the other day they're just stretches where it's like hey he's making some guys miss he's doing a nice job in space um I, I feel like a lot of people are focusing on the running game with the Rams when yeah they put up they put up 40 points despite Goff left a lot of plays on the table he missed open throws uh he put the ball in harm's way he fumbled um had some unlucky you know unlucky an unlucky interception in there as well but for all of this talk about the Rams running game, they still put up 40 points. That defense lost the game for them. They got torched by that Tampa Bay offense. And, of course, the, the fumble at the end made it look even worse But uh, you know, by Goff. But um, I think people are maybe overrating what the Rams running game is for them potentially. And despite all of the flaws that Goff showed on Sunday, they still scored a ton of points. So I think it's just that defense needs to play a lot better. And Goff does need to play a cleaner brand of football. But I'm not completely against uh, the Rams play calling at this point, like a lot of people are. So Steve, we often ask you about specific guys. I, I want to give you a little bit more of an open-ended question. Cause I want to see if maybe we're missing out on someone. Give me a unit and I'll ask you about an individual player next, but give me a unit that has surprised that is performing a lot better than perhaps they did in previous years or than you guys anticipated so far this year? I'll give you two quick ones. The San Francisco 49ers, they did have a bye last week, but their coverage unit has been one of the best in the league through three, uh, three games for them. They were last in the NFL last year. That's been a big part of their turnaround. And then the Houston Texans offensive line, I think on paper they look terrible. They came in as a bottom five offensive line, but they've actually pass protected a lot better than expected, and I know Deshaun Watson's taken a ton of sacks. A bunch of them are on him. He has not had much feel in the pocket, holding the ball too long, not recognizing blitzes. So I think that Texans O-line 
has been better than expected, and Watson's made them look just a little bit worse with regard to sack totals. And then the individual that I wanted to ask you about is, and Dave might have a follow-up, but I'm with you on the Texans' offensive line, by the way. Give me an individual that is really playing well that might surprise some people. Oh, man, off the top of my head, who am I thinking of? Well, Shaq Barrett's not surprising people, but I I like to – He's got all the sack totals, but I like the fact that his grades match up. There's a lot of times when, you know, Vic Beasley had a 16-sack season, and we said, ah, he's actually not doing that well. Those aren't really great sacks. You know, he's kind of running into them. Shaq Barrett has been absolutely dominant up front for the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I love that those gaudy sack totals are matching up with his grade. And and he was a guy that showed really well in small samples in Denver, and now he's got this full-time role, and he's really making the most of it. Funny. Uh, we're talking with Steve Palazzolo. Follow him at PFF underscore Steve. We have an internal communication here where I said, I just want to ask about Shaq Barrett. So that was the right answer. There you go. Uh, as, as a Broncos fan, though, I'm baffled they would let him walk. Was this predictable judging by what you'd seen prior to this season? I, I think for them, it was more of a case of, hey, you got Von Miller, you have Bradley Chubb. They felt like he was expendable. Not that you can ever have too many pass rushers, but you also can't pay them a ton of money either. So um, we've seen a lot of good teams. You know, the Eagles have, you know, edge rushers all over the place. So you certainly could have, you know, made a move to keep them. But it wasn't a crazy idea to say, hey, we got Chubb. We've got Von Miller. We should be okay. Sign and trade. Do something. All right. Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. It was a Twix bar. His number one graded Halloween candy bar. I think Ross and I are going to have to have a candy lineup like Seinfeld did many years ago. Settle this once and for all. Steve, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, coming up next hour, we're going to get more into that NCAA controversy. Who's right? Who's wrong is the answer somewhere in the middle. Uh, We'll get to that right after a quick break right here on Home and Home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 